Welcome to Ed Ideas, relevant conversations for Christian education. As image bearers of God, we have been created to actually carry out this work of cultivation, unpacking, unfurling, so that making is how we be human. Anytime culture is going through transition and there's significant change, you can either look at it as, hey, this is the worst thing ever, or what an opportunity. We know that all adolescents are asking some really direction-setting questions in their life. The very first thing said about us in the Hebrew Scriptures is not that we are bad, that we are dirty, that we are sinful, that we are shameful, that we are anything. The very first thing said about us is we bear the image of God. Welcome to Ed Ideas. I'm Brandon Tatum, and today we have Paul Coughlin on the show. Paul is an expert witness regarding bullying and the law and is a Fox News analyst and contributor. He's a popular speaker who has appeared on Good Morning America, Nightline, C-SPAN, the LA Times, the New York Times, Newsweek, and other media outlets. Paul is a best-selling author of eight books, including The Freedom from Bullying Parent and Teacher Resource, Raising Bullyproof Kids, as well as a former newspaper editor. He works with numerous professional organizations to diminish bullying, including the Baltimore Ravens. His anti-bullying curriculum is used throughout North America, as well as in South America, Uganda, Australia, New Zealand, and Brazil. Paul is a boys' varsity soccer coach where he has voted Coach of the Year twice. Paul has also previously served as a member of the Board of Trustees for St. Mary's School in Medford, Oregon. Paul, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great, pal. Thank Coming, you. Came all the way to Oklahoma. <laughs> I appreciate it. Oh, a little humid, but uh, it's a good humidity. Good. Hey, so tell us uh, kind of how you got passionate about this anti-bullying. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, you know, I have experience with it as a kid at a fundamental time in my life. You know, I know what it's like to be mocked and ridiculed on a, on a regular basis, and you don't deserve it, you know. I know what it's like to go up against superior power and... I needed someone to intervene. I needed a protector. I need someone to, to help me when I was a kid. And so, uh, you know, I wrote a book a number of years ago called No More Christian Nice Guy. And uh, it, it gave me a platform. I did you know, spoke with Promise Keepers and other groups, you know. And so uh, I noticed when I would talk about certain things over others, particularly justice, that my audience would really come alive, even like really quiet audiences, even ones that aren't demonstrative. Like when you're in Canada, it's very different than America, right? When you're, you're speaking up there, they're listening, but they're not as demonstrative. But anyway, I would, I would get on the topic of justice and how we are missing. We need to be in the battle for justice, and we should love what God loves, and we should really hate what God hates. We should never hate individuals, but we, we should hate behavior that's harmful to other people. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And so um, later, I thought to myself, well, where is justice missing? And that was about uh, 12 years ago. And back then, bullying was not the topic that it is today. It, uh, it, it, I likened anti-bullying efforts back then to like places that change your oil. And when they first came out, people were like, yeah, it's a good idea, but not necessary. And that's kind of how anti-bullying efforts were back then. <laughs> And uh, we were, and I think like you, Brandon, you're, you really are on the bleeding edge of educational thought. And so you know what it's like where you really do, you really have created a superior mousetrap. But back then it just didn't, um, 
uh, people wouldn't jump on it, I think in part because they wouldn't utilize it, in part because they didn't want to admit they had a problem. Leaders like you and others have said, well, of course there's bullying because you understand youth culture and you understand how uh, secretive and under the radar it is on purpose. And so you've got to be proactive to, to uh, diminish it. You will never fully get rid of it, but we will uh, substantially uh, diminish it. So that's the, uh, it's the genesis of, of uh, the work. Yeah, so tell me a little bit, let's just kind of to put this in a, in a framework. What is bullying and what is not bullying? <laughs> Uh, probably one of the most misunderstood words, honestly, in our lexicon is the word bullying. Uh, I wrote for Fox, please take the uh, the word bullying off the sports page. And we need to lar- uh, largely take it off of uh, the political pages as well, because individuals bully one another. When it comes to adolescent bullying, uh, it is the superior use of power. It could be real or perceived. It's almost always verbal. Uh, that intends to harm another person uh, multiple times or over time and for no justifiable reason. What's interesting, that, that's pretty much the bread and butter uh, definition of bullying. What's interesting is some include the definition or the inclusion of audacity. And we include audacity within uh, our organization. And here's why. Uh, Martin Luther King said that evil carries within itself the seed of its own destruction. Bullying is not always evil, but sometimes it really is. And so in the theater of bullying, the, that seed is the audacity of the bully. We highly recommend, uh, I don't know if you ever watched those shows where criminals do stupid things and people scratch their head as to, well, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But in the mind of a criminal, in many cases, they actually believe they're smarter than everyone else. So they don't really see themselves doing dumb things. So it's audacious, some of the things that these criminals do. Well, bullying also stems from a criminal mindset. There's a very big overlap between the two. And we recommend organizations to embrace the understanding of that audacity because it is usually the audacity that will cause that bully to really do something noticeable. And so leaders like you, what we do is we encourage them to be ready to see those things. And I would even add, um, it's even creating a situation where they do expose themselves, very similar to what uh, the police do with, with criminals. They set them up. We encourage setting bullies up, not so we can... Um, throw them away, uh, but so we can uh, minister to them and truly help them. Because we're not helping kids who bully right now. We really aren't. Uh, we're using panaceas. We're not using um, deep solvents. Interesting. Okay, so that's what it is. So so what is it not? Is, don't, don't you think it kind of gets misunderstood sometimes or kind of disguised in some ways? It does, and it has, and people have been using it for political purposes. They use it, it it's part of mudslinging, call the other person a bully, and, uh, you know, hopefully you can get that person to go underground if they disagree with you, and that's unfortunate um, how that works. Uh, so bullying is not about conflict. It's not about two people who misunderstand each other, not about drama. Uh, it's uh, girls who use that term more than boys. It's not about drama. Um, and it's not two people who just can't get along. It is one person, and, it, and nowadays it's more of a group, have decided that this one person deserves to be treated uh, horribly uh, multiple times. 
and uh, that usually stems from a an arrogant view of one person toward another. Your average bully and his or her henchmen and women will they honestly believe the person deserves to be bullied because they're different uh, because they don't like they don't like the way they walk they don't like their the way they speak they don't like their facial expressions they don't like the shape of their ears uh, uh, they um, they don't like how that person might be awkward socially in certain settings uh, or they don't like the color of the person's skin uh, I mean racism and genocide bigotry all stem from this belief that I am superior to you and therefore you deserve to be treated poorly. Why do you think it's important to, to be able to differentiate between bullying and conflict or bullying and drama? Yes. Uh, well, if the remedies are different. Right. So there's organizations out there right now, like Peacemakers, I believe is one of them, where they're about conflict resolution. Well, that's really important. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing that's a, a, of kindness and reconciliation. And, uh, but bullying is not about conflict. I mean, it includes conflict, but it's bigger than conflict. So the, the reason why we need to see it for what it is, is that the solutions are very different. And usually with bullying, the solution, it needs to be more powerful. Bullies, at least a serial bully, they, we wish they would listen to peace, love, and understanding, uh, but they often don't. When authority talk about peace, love, and understanding, it's kind of like the teacher in the Peanuts uh, cartoons <laughs> where all they hear is wah, wah, wah. What bullies... What bullies listen to are power and consequences. That's their love language. And we need to speak power and consequences to them. We need to make, you need to make things very cut and dry with them, and including their parents. Because when you meet the parents, you often see <laughs> it's, not a, it's not an accident, you know, uh, how far the apple falls from the tree, right? In many cases, many times, though not all, not all cases. So we need to, the answer is very different. And then people like you and others in education, I feel so sorry for them because... You spend a lot of time going down rabbit holes, false accusations of bullying, and then real sadly, we know generally 70% of abuse victims, um, they don't tell anyone. So the ones who truly need the help, um, they're not getting it because, you're, because unfortunately, you're having to spend so much time on these false uh, reports of bullying. So that's interesting that you, that you bring that up, and it's so hard to, to identify bullying in an in an organizational context, and in my case, a school context. Because, as you say so eloquently, bullies are calculated, they're intentional, they wait until the adult turns their head, and mm-hmm. so things happen uh, when adults don't hear. But one of the things that you encourage and promote and talk about is the empowerment of the bystander. Mm-hmm. And so why is that so important? Well, the Department of Health and Human Services did a 10-year landmark study. They looked at anti-bullying programs in America, and they found many to be ineffective, some even dismal, when we expect authority to change the heart, mind, soul, spirit, depending on your worldview, of uh, particularly a serial bully, because they're the ones who really caused the problems for a long time. Um, they just don't listen to authority the way we wish they would. But what uh, the Department of Health and Human Services did find is that when their peers denounce their behavior in an assertive but nonviolent way, that that works. 
So when bystanders, and there's no magic word, but when bystanders, we call them protectors, in, in part to tap into the heroic imagination that youth have, they really do want to be protectors. Um, when they stand up and they stand up for their peer, that that's the secret sauce. That is what changes things. But it's also probably the hardest route up the freedom from bullying mountain because to get those peers to push past you know, it's kind of like inmates in a, in a prison, right? There's this unwritten code, and it, it exists in every school. You know, don't completely get in line with the teachers, for example. They're kind of the enemy. You know, it's kind of how it, it works. So we kind of have to break that up, and we have to encourage our child uh, that when they witness bullying, that they will do something about it. I'm just reminded of that line. There's a, there's a scene in a movie, American Sniper, uh, Chris Kyle, I was actually in Fort Dallas, Fort Worth when his body was uh, laid to rest. It went by my uh, hotel when I was speaking there. And there's in the movie, Chris Kyle's father says there's three kinds of people in this world. There are sheep, sheepdogs, and wolves. I expect you to be a sheepdog. Brandon, if only 25% of parents in America expected their child to do something life-affirming, pro-social, uh, it, uh, righteous, if uh, from a, a more biblical perspective, a religious perspective, we only need like 25% of kids to do it. If they expect, if that became a family value, we would fundamentally change bullying almost overnight across America if we just changed wow. parenting. Yeah. Because they, like, for example, with um, International Justice Mission, I think what they found is police departments are actually a big problem with human trafficking. And what they found is that the um, there's roughly about 20, 25% of police officers who get up in the morning, or maybe it's 15, there's no magic number. Uh, they get up in the morning and they say, come up, ma'am, and do the right thing. Well, you have a, roughly the same group that say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get ahead in life. And if I have to sell a kid into sex slavery for 200 bucks, I'll do it. So what happens is, how do you change police departments? How do you change an organization? It's the body of the bell curve. It's that big fat part because they're the ones asking a fundamental question. Who has the power? If the good guys have the power, the majority, the lemmings, will go the direction of the good guys. But if the bad guys have the power, they'll go that direction. So what does this mean about bullying? Kids have very sensitive antenna when it comes to this topic, right? So if they see that more people, the good guys, have the power who stand up to bullying, they will join that group. It'll give them courage. But if the, if the bad guys, to speak in generalities, I know it's oversimplification, um, but if they've got the power, the body of the student body will go the direction of, of meanness. We need to make courage and kindness cool in order to change that dynamic. I love that. Um, and you've, you've been on my campus twice now, and uh, we've known each other for a few years, been at conferences together, and you know we're, we're trying to create a, a culture um, that, that empowers the bystander in no way, shape, or form. Do we have a perfect culture? Now, fortunately, I'm not sure we'll ever have a, a perfect culture, kind of how you started out by saying, if you have people, you'll have problems, right? <laughs> That's true. Uh, but we, we need to be very intentional with creating a culture, in our case, in, in a Christian institution case, where, where everybody is viewed as, an, as the, in the, made in the image of God, right? And that we're called to love everybody, love God, love people. 
Uh, so we're, we're trying that, and, and we're, we're walking through that. So as a school, we need to do that. But how do we also help uh, encourage uh, our parents? I hear you kind of using some we language, and I think when you say we language, you're saying it as a dad. Sometimes. Certainly, yeah. so, father of three. Yeah, how do we help, uh, and I'm a dad, right? And so how do we help our kids understand the value of kindness um, and then also the virtue of courage? Mm. Well, I think we need the, the two have to be tethered. Uh, I think it was the late, great Maya Angelou who said that uh, without courage, we can't be kind consistently. And she's right. Um, and it, for example, uh, in Scripture, we see the woman caught in adultery. Most people are familiar with the story. She's caught in adultery. And the, the Mosaic Law says you can be stoned to death. Interesting, they don't drag the, the man uh, in front. Talk about bullying. So, uh, you know, Jesus stands up for the woman caught in adultery. It's an amazing part of, part of Scripture. And, you know, we weep over the pathos, and we weep over the grace and the mercy and the kindness. Uh, and rightly so, but we forget something fundamental, that if Jesus didn't have the courage to stand up to the Pharisees, probably the biggest bullies of his day, uh, she dies. So without courage, we can't be kind consistently. And so what does that mean? There are two very big buzzwords within education right now, especially as they relate to bullying. One is awareness. Okay, Awareness is important. It's a faculty of the mind. Uh, one is uh, kindness. Always do the kind thing, and that's fantastic. Uh, but untethered from courage, we want, we're not going to get high-grade kindness. We're going to get pretty low-grade uh, kindness, uh, at least over time. So we've got to put, the, to answer your question, as parents, as people, as people of goodwill, as uh, of the study hardwired to connect authoritative communities, what do we need to do? We must put moral, spiritual, ethical courage, whatever your worldview, is uh, on our radar. We must expect our child to do the courageous thing, life-affirming thing. There's three things any kid could do. There is direct intervention in regards to bullying. It's unbelievable. The University of Oregon did a study. They found that if one person stands up to bullying with assertive, nonviolent words, that that incident of bullying can end 58% of the time within six to eight seconds. And they don't even have to be popular or large in size or in stature. So it's amazing statistic, direct intervention. I shared a story with your uh, student body, how I stood up for a kid with Down syndrome in high school. He wasn't my friend, but I stood up for him. And uh, I, I believe I, I changed his life and I changed my own life. Because um, studies show that if you actually do stand up for another person, your capacity for courage, sympathy, and empathy and related virtues actually increase. We become larger souled. Um, they can comfort the target afterward. It's something any kid can do. Comfort the target afterward. And these, are, these should be family values. And then the third thing is we need to show our kids to have them report, not tattle, to authority what they saw and what they heard. We need to get another word on our radar, ear witness. They kind of think about eyewitness, but what they saw. Most bullying's verbal, so they need to become ear witnesses. So with our member schools, uh, we have posters of what is reporting, 
what's tattling. Uh, we have posters, the difference between teasing and taunting, the difference between bullying and conflict. Some schools will identify a bathroom, for example, that's pretty bad uh, behavior takes place. So they put these posters right in front of the urinal, so you can't have no choice but to look at them. It's really pretty funny um, uh, type of thing. Anyway, our kids can do this. Any kid can do one of those three things it really quickly, reporting and tattling. Reporting is about something significant designed to get someone out of trouble. Tattling is about something insignificant designed to get someone into trouble. Over time, as we begin to work on these things, our kids will know the difference. Hmm. I love that. I love that difference. Uh, so as an adult, and, and you have helped shape this just through our friendship, helping me see something different. And James K.A. Smith, a friend of the podcast who's, who's been on, does a really good job of, of shaping how culture is always forming us. It's forming us into something. And our culture tends uh, to, to, to show a lot of bullying and kind of hold it up as entertainment. Mm. And so uh, I remember it does. In, in a presentation you did a few years ago where you showed the guy on Food Network. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. How as adults do we, yeah. and maybe we don't even realize it, but we are drawn to uh, this kind of entertainment in front of our kids even, uh, and, and we see it as something that is fun to watch. Yeah, isn't it sad? Uh, the, the, the great atheist uh, Salman Rushdie uh, wrote about the petulant and dangerous nature of reality television. You know, for every good show, what I would call redemptive uh, TV, reality television, Biggest Loser, Extreme Home Makeover, you know, these, are, these are really good shows, and they, um, they help fundamentally change people's lives for the better. But for every good one, <laughs> there's more of just sewage. It's just sewage in many cases, many times. Yeah, we adults, we can point our fingers all we want at youth culture, and of course it has its problems. But we need to get our heads on straight. We are the ones who are making bullies uh, rich beyond recognition, as uh, I think it was Tyndale who called it filthy lucre, right? We are making them rich and famous. We are laughing while they sear the psychological flesh of another human being. And to be honest, Brandon, I, I, I did it myself as well. It wasn't until a few years into the anti-bullying world where my eyes were opened more fundamentally, and, and I had to apologize to my kids. I said, you know, in the past, I used to, I laughed at that stuff, and it's not funny. Uh, we have an expression in our home now that um, it's only funny when both people are laughing. Mm. I got that from the great Barbara Corleoso, mm. anti-bullying uh, legend. So, um, yeah, we need to change, because through the umbilical cord of modeling, our kids will, will they'll applaud what we applaud, they'll laugh at what we laugh at, and they'll dislike what we dislike. And we, we need to get our loves in order. We need to love what God loves, and we need to hate what God hates as well. And it is... There are things about God that are a mystery. Not when it comes to justice. He's pretty clear uh, through the prophets, uh, the Hebrew prophets, uh, going into the, uh, the New Testament, that he loves justice. I'll give you an example. The word justice appears in the Bible about 130 times. You want to take a guess how many times the word forgiveness appears in the Bible? I would assume a lot. <laughs> 13. Oh, my word. So justice is 10 to 1. Wow. But what do we do within a particularly evangelical culture? 
what I'm saying here, I, uh, we've taken the minority and we've made it the majority. And what we need to do, we talk far more about forgiveness than justice. We do. We have to do both. We, we're big enough to do both, and our God expects us to do both. I love it. And I think that that connects to the heartbeat of this generation, too, right? A, a generation focused on justice, on doing good, on trying to stand up for the lowly, the weak. I think they care about that. We just, we just have to do a better job of creating cultures and frameworks that empower them to be able to live that out. I so, and I mean, I've been a broken record on this for well over a decade, right? I mean, it, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a, a home that was pretty critical of uh, religion in general. Uh, yet I noticed one thing, particularly with my parents, they were Irish immigrants. Um, they really respected people who stood up for justice. So in this um, culture, depending on the study, there's some people who say, you know, that uh, we're becoming less church than then what we call church growth or retreads, right? There are people moving from one church to the other. I don't know if these things are true necessarily, uh, but I think it's probably safe to say that, uh, at least in America, that the star of Christianity is... Um, uh, it's it's been veiled more than in the past. There's it's been it's being obscured. It's not as respected as it used to be. Through the portal of justice, we can gain the world's um, uh, respect without pandering to the world. We are hardwired to appreciate justice, and we are hardwired to mourn its loss. So we're born this way, we're, I believe we're created this way, and when we take justice more seriously, uh, we, become a, we become more salty, we, become, we have more light in us, and we really are, uh, that the reconciliation uh, and the redemption of things, a lot of it comes through justice. And we're talking old-fashioned Hebrew prophet justice, you know, the weak right. being, we're not talking about necessarily income redistribution and how um, justice has been re redefined in in last 10 years or so. This is just old-fashioned biblical justice. That's good. Tell, tell me a little bit about, so, so you... Uh, you're an expert in this field. You go around, speak on this, right? I'm an expert this, witness full-time. in legal cases, yeah. Yeah. But you're also, uh, or have been, a coach in a school. Yeah. So, you, so you've been a school employee. And a school board member. Yeah. Okay. So, so talk to me about kind of the school's place in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, bullying is a cultural problem. It is not a school problem. Sadly, schools have been unfairly saddled with the responsibility to fix it. I think it's uh, immature on behalf of our culture. It's certainly ignorant. And I'm, I think it's probably willful ignorance as well, which is sad, very sad. So schools find themselves largely in an unpleasable situation because they will never change the problem of bullying on their own. We expect teachers to be the frontline defense against bullying. It's really parents. So we have to, if we're going to change bullying, we have to change culture. In order to change culture, we have to change parenting. Uh, That is how we are going to uh, reduce the problem of bullying. You know, Jesus said that the poor will be with you always. He wasn't saying that was right. 
he was probably uh, denouncing human nature when he said it, right? Because that's not his will, for sure. Uh, but nonetheless, he could have said the same thing about bullying. Bullying will be with us always. What's going to work is that it's going to be reduced in pockets of resistance. Your school and a growing number of other schools, thank goodness, are becoming that pocket of, you already are, and you're fortifying your efforts in that way. And it's actually, I've often thought that, you know, for schools in regard to the, uh, how they pay for anti-bullying programs, I've often thought, jokingly, but not jokingly, it should come out of the marketing department. Hmm. This is far from admission of guilt. This is actually an opportunity to let your light shine even more so in your community. Hmm. That's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, let's talk specifically about, about parents in regards to specifically maybe equipping some parents with some verbiage or some, some yeah. skills. So if you're a parent that's been called into the school office or the youth minister's office or maybe another parent has called you and, and said, your child has bullied my child. So you're the parent of the bully. Mm. What, what advice do you have for that parent? Yes, uh, breathe deeply uh, about 10 times because <laughs> they take it so personally. Here, I'm an anti-bullying expert, and my kids have bullied in school. Okay, yeah. and, uh, and, and part of it didn't, I mean, of course I didn't like it. I didn't like that phone call, but I, it, bullying is, kids experiment with bullying the way that they might experiment with a chemistry set in the, in the basement of a home, right? Studies show that most kids uh, try it out, but they don't become serial bullies. So most kids are going to probably experiment with drugs and alcohol. doesn't mean they're going to be an alcoholic necessarily or a drug addict. You know, the list goes on and on as those kind of behaviors. So they experiment with these things. So just because you're getting called into the office, man, there are so many kids who experiment with it. Your kid just got caught, right? It's actually a good day that they got caught doing it because it's really bad what it does to other kids. So your kid is not necessarily a criminal. Um, many kids experiment with this behavior, but highly encouraged to not argue with what you hear. Again, uh, if, if let's say uh, the school has, or a youth pastor has established a pattern of behavior, that's really what you're looking at. Um, if it exists, it's been documented to some degree, you're never going to fully know. You almost, in order to fully know, pal, you need a um, uh, lie detector test, you need sodium pentothal, <laughs> you need DNA analysis, right? right? Uh, so uh, you're never going to fully know, but yeah, you know, your kid, your kid is probably, where there's smoke, there's fire, your kid's been bullying. What you need to do in that case is uh, stop talking and, and, and get information. You're about to get the gift of objectivity about your child, and it's a gift. I have dealt with those parents as a coach who deny, 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 deny. It's like they're running for office, right? Just deny. And, um, you know, they don't do their kids any favors. Their kids often end up entitled, um, arrogant, other kids do not like them. I'll tell you that. I can think of one kid in particular <laughs> that the parents constantly ran interference for him, and the other kids knew it, and that kid was marginalized for his entire school uh, experience. And then you got to talk to him and say, you know, uh, expect them not to do this behavior in the future. I'll give you one example of my own home. My oldest bullied my middle child, both boys. I grew up under that tyranny, and um, 
as long as there's air in my lungs, uh, that was not happening in my home. I grew up under that stuff. So no way I call it opening a can of Jesus, right? It's just it's never going to happen. So, uh, but it did happen. And, and I would hear my youngest just scream uh, in the other room. It would always happen away from in front of me. Imagine that, yeah, right? right? This is before I knew really what bowling was all about. But I could smell it. Even back then, I could smell it. So I sat my boys down, and I said, listen, buddy, to my youngest boy, the next time he, I said to my oldest boy, I know you're bullying your brother, and you're doing it behind my back, and you're being secretive. I know you're doing it, okay? So it's not a matter of if you're doing it. You are doing it, and I will move on it very quickly. So since bullying is unequal power, I said, how do you equal out that power? Like for example, most school shootings, Secret Service interviewed 37 school shooters, asked them why they did it. 85% of them said they did it as revenge against bullying. The, the gun equaled out the lack of, I'm not saying, I'm not, not advocating this in any way, shape, or form, but kids look for something to equal out the imbalance of power. Unfortunately, in America, increasingly, that's a weapon. Well, in our home, I said to my son, I said, I said, now I give you permission to bite your brother <laughs> as hard as you possibly can, but don't bite him in the face because that's expensive uh, to fix. <laughs> and I said, you know what would really hurt buddy is if you bit him in the back of his arm like a monkey bite do you want to know what happened a halo grew over my older son's head automatic imagine that that. because i equaled out the lack of power now i'm not recommending that necessarily or maybe that's exactly what some parents should do right now Mm -hmm. because sibling bullying can be more than twice as bad psychologically than Mm non-intimate bullying you are allowing such horrible behavior in your home and you got to call it for what it is, and you have to jump on it. That is what God expects from you as a parent, among other expectations. So that, that's I, what I hear you saying in, in, a, in a lesser way is, is uh, that typical parent that's like, uh, my kid's getting bullied, so sock him. Next time at lunch, I just want you to go and sock that kid. Uh, what do you think to that advice? You know, yeah, well, this is outside of the sibling rivalry. This is the yeah, my kid's being bullied, and I, I need to empower uh-huh. my kid to stand up for himself. And so now we're going under the veil. Yeah, okay. Right. So we're going under the veil. So I've been in many, many schools, more than I can count at this point. Worked by thousands of teachers, tens of thousands of students and parents, and uh, I have been in the principal's office talking with the principal about other things. And I've seen someone come in and say, uh, Johnny finally pushed back, mm-hmm. pushed back physically. Now, of course, the school, the schools, they know the score. Right. They will silently celebrate the fact that a kid pushed back. Now, they're not silently going to celebrate the fact that another kid beat another kid to a pulp type of thing. Uh, but, you know, our word violence comes from the word to violate, And I personally don't believe that if a kid defends their physical value, as long as that defense is appropriate, that it's necessarily wrong. The problem that we run into is that the defense becomes inordinate and it takes it to a whole other level and it's blown out of proportion because that poor kid's volcanic, right? And he's he's taking it for too long. The real answer in theater bullying, in most cases, most of the time, is arming our children with the ability to defend themselves verbally. Uh, I call it resistance without war. 
We and and think just think for a second, Brandon, what that would mean to a kid. Imagine that they learned how to handle a bully through words when they were younger. And so as they get older, they don't marry a bully. They can spot and repel a bully. They don't work for a bully. Mm. They don't go into an organization, say a church, that has bullying in its DNA. They can smell it and say, I'm moving on to another place. It's a gift within a gift that we have. So verbal self-defense is one of the, we call it hardening the target. Verbal self-defense is so important. One thing would be for a parent is to help your kid not give a public display of pain and anguish. Bullies looking for that. It makes them feel powerful, makes them feel alive, and they grow in social status, you know, when, when, they, when they can push the buttons of another kid. So uh, we got to train them just to make it pretend, even to pretend it doesn't bother them, even when it does uh, in the book of Proverbs, and I believe also in the Psalms, we're told uh, that only a fool shows all their feelings uh, right away. It is a foolish thing to show everything you think and feel. We encourage kids to keep it to themselves as best as they possibly can. Now, some people feel that's dishonest, but those people do not understand the theater of bullying. When you have public displays of pain and anguish, that child will not only be marginalized by the bully and his or her henchmen and women, they will be marginalized by their other classmates as well over time. And sometimes the damage is irrevocable Hmm. in that school. Okay, so now I see us kind of moving into to giving skills to the parent whose child is being bullied. Yeah. And so I hear you talking about verbal cues. You're talking about helping them manage their emotion. What, mm-hmm. what are some other skills? Yeah, uh, let me go back to the bullying for a second. Uh, how not to raise a bully. Do not use coercive parenting style. A okay. coercive parenting style uh, can lead to the creation of a child who bullies as well. Define that for us. Uh, you know, you're pushing your kid around, you override their will on a regular basis, and even um, you put them down if they don't get in line with you. You you call them names. That's what happened to me. I was called stupid. I was in the gifted program. I was in the gifted program, and I was called stupid at home, you know, that type of thing. And that might be extreme uh, in some people's homes, but in some people's homes, uh, it's not. So you're pushing your kid around. You override them on a regular basis. You don't let them have a voice. And uh, they're demeaned if they get out of line. I grew up under, like I said, that uh, regime. Okay, so uh, one of the best things we can do, a bully is not looking for a fight. We need to realize a bully isn't a bully on average is not someone to figure out who's the biggest, strongest person on campus. That's, that's conflict. It's not bullying. A bully wants to overwhelm. So a bully, and it start, there's a reason why October is anti-bullying month in America, in Canada, it's November. The reason for that is that schools found that bullying blossoms one month into school. Why is that? Because bullies profile. They go after that kid, they're pretty sure will not push back. I uh, have helped with two movies. One was called uh, Courage in a Time of Fear, and I was helping at this high school as a consultant to the movie. And... I saw these actors in a circle, almost perfect circle, except for this one boy between takes. It takes forever to do a movie, and you just, a lot of your knees hurt. You stand around a lot, and I noticed this one boy. And I went to the uh, director, and I he was just a half step out of this perfect circle of boys, and the other boys were letting them in. They weren't pinching them off, right? He he wouldn't take a half cir- half step to join the circle, 
and he had fidgety body language. He just looked uncomfortable. He looked like the kind of person you could push around and get away with it. And I went to the director. I said, if I were a bully, that is who I would go after because I've been watching the behavior of the, of the students, you know. So what do we do? We got to help our kids fake it till they make it, or as the wonderful Amy Cuddy of Harvard uh, said, make it to, uh, fake it till you become it. Amy Cuddy is, um, she, she's the one behind the term power posing, one of the most popular TED Talks. Watch it with your child. I think it's only 15 minutes, and it's really good. Um, she did studies of people with assertive body language. Christians have a hard time, the difference between being assertive and being arrogant. Confidence is not arrogance in any way, shape, or form. So we need to help our kids to be at least appear confident, even when they don't feel like it inside. And I think God has given us a real gift on that front, a gift to the meek. Cuddy found that she would take these swaths inside the mouth of participants before and after one fundamental event. She would have the male or female, uh, look into a mirror with an assertive look on their face and a sort of body language called Wonder Woman pose, you know, put your hands on your hips. Within two minutes, the chemicals in a person's body associated with self-confidence increased. So we recommend this exercise uh, before they go to school to where they can literally jumpstart a feeling of, of greater self-worth and greater self-confidence on the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and then also, uh, what often happens with kids who bully uh, or who are targets, they are scanning the room for the bully. And it makes sense. We recommend that they do not scan the room. That, darted, that darting eye uh, language, so to speak, bullies key in on that kind of behavior. You want, to the best of your ability, your child should have a very uh, confident and relaxed nature to them, make them far less likely to be bullied. It takes time. It takes a lot of coaching. It's good. Um, Often on the podcast, I mean, this podcast really specializes or focuses in on spiritual formation strategies for Generation Z. Obviously, we're talking about Gen Z. We're talking about kids that are in school right now. How is the bullying conversation connected to this idea of spiritual formation? Mm. There is a profound but also misunderstood or underrecognized connection. And that connection comes through spiritual courage. Uh, In Scripture, there's the word courage appears about uh, 30 times. And in Scripture, courage and strength are nearly synonymous. The words appear in the same sentence. If not in the same sentence, they appear in the same paragraph, right? And there's some pretty famous ones, one out of Hebrews. Um, Do not throw your courage or strength away because it carries with it a great reward. There are others as well. And Jesus, so so in regard to courage through spiritual formation, uh, we only become courageous by doing courageous deeds. And uh, you think about the people who really have wanted to do the will of God in a, in a bold way, let's say wanted to be a missionary, for example, but they just didn't have the guts to take on the risk to do it. And Jesus talked about uh, these kind of people. In the parable of the sower, he gives us three examples, and I'm going to pull from the Gospel of Mark. He said, uh, I call them second seed people. So the second example, he says, there's a certain kind of person who receives the good news with jubilation, but on account of tribulation, they fall away. And uh, the disciples don't know what he's talking about, and that's why I'm going to pull from Mark, because Mark is the only one that where um, we find out a little deeper meaning of, of this key scripture. 
And he said, there's a certain kind of person who, have, who has no rootedness within themselves. They have no staying power. Uh, they, ha they don't have grit, which is what you have uh, written about uh, so well. So Jesus, what's interesting, Jesus says, they have no rootedness within themselves. He didn't say they don't have rootedness in me. What Jesus is saying is that there's a certain kind of person who, when the going gets tough in the faith, they just can't take the heat. And when we can't take the heat, it's usually, almost always, it's not a matter of the heart, and it's not a matter of the mind. It's a matter of courage. It's a matter of, do I have the grit, determination, and the strength for the long haul? And uh, for many people, they walk away. And what's interesting there is I saw that in college. I went, I, I went to youth group like a lot of other people, and I saw people, you know, read their Bibles. I saw a lot of people... Uh, worship music, so their head and their heart were connected to God. But I don't believe their courage and their strength was connected to God. And I think it was a mortal injury to their faith. So we're talking about, I mean, I've seen people actually, they, there's hardly any still believe to this day who I went to college with. And I, I think it was this, didn't have the guts, particularly in the secular university like where I went. And then the other thing would be spiritual formation and character development. Studies show that when we see someone in need of help, and it's within our power to act, and we help them, our capacity for courage, sympathy, and empathy increase. We become larger souled. Our word for that is magnanimous. Well, similar studies show uh, that when we see someone in need, and it's within our power to act, and we don't help that person, our capacity for courage, strength, sympathy, and empathy, and related virtues decreases in the future. We literally become smaller sold, right? We have a word for that. It's pusillanimous. And we have shortened that in our lexicon. And if I said it, it'd be the only word that your listeners would remember me saying. So I'm not going to say it, but I think they know what the word means. That's actually what it means. It means to be small sold. So when our children witness bullying take place and they don't help that target, they are less like they are going to become smaller sold uh, in the future statistically. And that's why many people believe there is no neutrality in the theater of bullying. Everyone is affected by it. The question is, is it for good or is it for ill? Interesting. It's powerful. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your, you got a book coming up. Let's shift gears a little bit as we kind of close this out. Yeah. You got a book coming up. Eighth, ninth book. I, it's the eighth book. My, I, I think it's my eighth book. Uh, the ninth. Well, it's technically my ninth, but I, it, my one of my books was a compilation of other things I wrote, okay. which was kind of nice. I didn't have to write it. <laughs> I just yeah. got an email from my agent saying, "Hey, they want to okay. do this." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, uh, free us from bullying. Real solutions beyond being nice. And uh, and why why is that? It's it's uh, ten years or twelve years in the making. Uh, that book about five eight years ago, a ton of anti bullying books came out, and we decided we weren't going to be part of that. We just get lost in the shuffle. Uh, so we're we came on for this September to for the release of the book, and um, it it's it's my favorite book. It's hard to ask someone to choose which is your favorite book. This one is my favorite book because there's probably more of, more of me in it, I guess, uh, of what I want to say. And uh, it's designed to help all people of goodwill, but especially uh, people of faith, to join this battle to defend the dignity of all children regardless of distinction. Uh, right now, the, the cause du jour of our time uh, is, is 
the battling human trafficking and and that's so important and it's so important uh, that we continue to do that because they are truly captive but we do not realize yet and I'm hoping to change this with the book is that there are kids in your community right now who are also captive they're psychologically tethered to their bully and their bullies and they need intervention. They need someone to help them, very much like Augie in the wonderful book, uh, Wonder, which you both you and I uh, appreciate that book. So the book is designed to get people of faith in particular, but all people of goodwill, to join this battle uh, to the benefit of man and to the, the glory of God. And one of my favorite things in this, there's two favorite interviews. There's interludes between every chapter. Two of my favorite interviews are, I interviewed Frank Peretti. You're probably familiar with his work yeah, uh, yeah. on anti-bullying, uh, Wounded Spirit. Remains one of my favorite interviews as the editor of a newspaper and all that kind of stuff as a reporter. And uh, my interview with Frank is one of my top three interviews that I've ever had. Very powerful interview in the book. And then also a really great interview with Dr. John Townsend of Boundaries fame. He is no fan of bullying, that is, uh, that is for sure. And uh, that appears in the book as well. Very helpful to parents. It's great. So we have uh, quite a few heads of schools that listen to the podcast. Tell us uh, or tell them why they should have you on their campus. Well, you know, there was a time along, we've talked about this, Brandon, uh, and we're an official ministry partner of ACSI, for example. And uh, when we first started this work, we uh, we just couldn't get people to take it seriously. And I think they're worried that if they had the protectors come in, that the community would see it as an admission of guilt. I'm glad to say that that's really changing. Uh, visionary people like you and others are like, well, of course there's bullying, and it's not our fault. Uh, it's just the culture in which we live, so we need to change culture. So we're seeing more and more of that. We, It's our honor, really, to partner with schools to help them battle bullying. I mean, you saw today, for example... I mean, how many kids publicly apologize for bullying and related behavior? There's no way you have that many bullies in your school, right? But um, we have what's called apology time, vitamin A, during our, during our presentation. And today, I would say we saw dozens of kids take that opportunity to reset their relationship with their classmates, things they've done in the past, things they're currently doing. And uh, it's a sight to behold that to fundamentally change uh, a, a school culture in one presentation can be difficult to do. So a great work was just started earlier uh, today there. But what we do is we provide a comprehensive answer. We work, obviously we work with students. Everyone wants you to work with students. Uh, but really the big presentation is, is parents, right? If we can change parenting, we can change bullying. And we encourage our member schools to use parent night, to call it community night, where this is an opportunity to let your light shine even brighter in the community because there are people who, are, who should have their kid at your school, but they're taking the free option, right? But what if, your community, what if your school over time became known as the one in that community where they really take bullying seriously and they'll know that by the wonderful testimonies that take place. Testimonies are so important with existing and potential um, families. So we do that. We, we create those wonderful testimonies, and then we do teacher training uh, covered under Title $2 and I think, uh, some Title $4 as well. And then we have a curriculum that reinforces all those live presentations that really make it deep, that make it personal for those students. And at the end of that curriculum is uh, the Protector's Challenge. 
And that protector's challenge has a number of things. And of course, one of them is I won't be a bystander. I'll be a protector when I witness bullying take place. Fundamentally changing school cultures. We have a, a school in Texas right now that actually has just used our curriculum. <laughs> and when they implemented our curriculum, two of the bullies and their families left the school just before they implemented the curriculum because they knew the curriculum was a threat to them. Mm. So that's how powerful it can sometimes be. Mm. So we've been able to help schools reduce bullying by 25, 30. Some, some, we have one that said it, we helped to reduce it up to 85% in, uh, in San Diego. Wow. Yeah. How many kids do you think have apologized over the course of the last year? Boy, we, we helped more than 1,000 kids publicly apologize uh, for bullying last year, uh, over 1,000, more than 1,000. And so that doesn't count the ones that, uh, well, I talked to a kid today, right? A young lady said, I didn't have the guts to, to publicly do it, but I went to the person and apologized as soon as you were done speaking. Yeah. So my, my guess is, it's hard to say for sure. I, I would say we, we've probably helped at least five to 10,000 kids apologize yeah, that's last school year. Yeah, You're doing good work. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I, I appreciate you being here. appreciate you being on the podcast. Any, any last words of wisdom for us? Well, I, I, it, most are going to be heads of, of schools, and we are a partner. Um, we, there's no stones in our hands in regard to bullying. We partner with you. Uh, to where you can truly do, you, you remember when people first got into education, I call it their inner dead poet society, right? Where they were just <laughs> yeah. gung-ho to do that. And, and they do, that's how people go into education, but then they run into a bunch of realities. And one of them is the number one concern of parents existing in perspective, uh, according to a Barna study, they run into bullying. And what happens is it it stops them from fulfilling their mission and their purpose. Not just the mission and the purpose of the school, but the mission and the purpose that in the heart of teachers and administrators and related staff, including coaches, bullying can fundamentally derail all that. We must confront it proactively because we got to get ahead of the curve. Because once we get behind the curve, it's too late. Pal, I get emails. I, I call them SOS emails. I can tell by the words that, that they have contacted us because there was a bullying in, uh, incident, and I know there's a lawsuit pending. We help them in that situation. Let's not get to there. Can I get, tell you one success story? Uh, a school in California did a protector. They were a protector of school. And in May, the school found out that this girl was leaving, which is not unusual. That's when you often find out. But they were, getting, they were getting hit with a lawsuit because they said they never did anything against bullying. Well, and I guess they were afraid. They were afraid. That this, this attorney has a big name, and he's frightening, frightening dude, I guess, if you get a letter from him. And uh, they said, well, no, we did plenty of things. And one of them, they pointed to the protector's presentations. They, they, they pointed out that they had the protector's curriculum implemented in their school, and that we helped them with their policy, recommend the policy not be too specific. Got to be careful with that. It hurts you from ministering to the bully and their family, so you got to be careful there. Anyway, um, they implemented that stuff. This attorney took a look at that, and they dropped, uh, they dropped the lawsuit because they had shown, to some degree, good legal diligence in their work. Uh, so we were literally able to save that school from what was probably an unnecessary lawsuit, but they're about as expensive as the other ones, right, yeah, to no, a school. Right. So uh, we can help your schools with that as well. I think that's a good example, too, of uh, 
no school is perfect, right? We're not going to we're not going to completely bully proof our institution by, there is by no a partnership bully with proof you. institution. But hopefully, we have the foresight and the wisdom and the heart to create cultures that that don't highlight that behavior, that don't promote that behavior, that that promote a very a, a culture that is Christ centered. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're not perfect in that by any means, but uh, our partnership with you has been a blessing to us. And so I really appreciate you. Oh, well, I appreciate you, pal. You're, uh, I've said it before, you're, you're, you're prophetic when it comes to uh, education. You're on, well, I think you're on the bleeding edge of things. And I just hope that you don't bleed too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Uh, we'll see you, pal. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit subscribe and follow our podcast. It's important that we continue these relevant conversations for Christian education.